Welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer and business coach helping you to live in your purpose. And that is what this podcast is all about. So let's jump right in to the conversation. Hello and welcome to Weave Your Bliss. I'm Paula Crossfield. If you're new here, welcome. So happy that you're here. This podcast is all about conversations with people who have different perspectives on living in their purpose and about astrology and business and how astrology helps you to succeed wildly in your business. I bring information about the astrology, but also tips on how to use that in your life and your business. And before we jump in here with this interview that I did with Erica Hallweil, who's an incredible yogi and brings some valued perspective on how we approach our practice, I just want to share that if you're interested in knowing the year ahead's astrology and having my handpicked Lalo and auspicious dates in addition to major transits like the full moons and new moons and what you need to know about them, all the eclipses, other astrological information like Mercury retrogrades and Saturn retrogrades and what those mean, please do get your copy of my 2023 astrology guidebook. The link is in the show notes and you can drop it into your Google calendar and you have all of my notes there. Plus you'll be added to my newsletter list where I'll be helping you make sense of all of it and talking to you about it in real time. So That is one thing I want to make sure you know about. The second thing is part of being on my newsletter list is having access to my resonance love letters that come out every Friday. And this is my exclusive content that comes directly from my heart. That's all about what I see working in business, the new paradigm of business that I see emerging that is collaborative and conscientious and equitable and also astrology and how that plays into our businesses and how we can use it as a tool to really help us succeed. So all you have to do to get on that list is to get your astrology guidebook and 100% of the profits go to two organizations, one that supports a school called Asha Deep in Varanasi, India, and another is the Indigenous-led environmental organization, the Indigenous Environmental Network. So those two things will get 100% of the profits. Okay, let's jump in. So my guest today is Erica Hallweil, who has been studying, exploring, and practicing yoga since 1993. She also has a degree in nutrition. She has studied anatomy, physiology, Ayurveda, reflexology, and astrology, and really has integrated these systems as well as the sciences of India into her yoga practice to help people create more space. And as you'll hear in this episode, we talk a lot about bringing more joy into our lives, how to deal with stress effectively. And we she debunks myths about yoga. And we talk about one of my favorite things that she does in her on her Instagram, she shares wonderful things like this, making your activities, making your life a love letter to yourself. So what she means by that. She has an incredible offering out right now for people to start the new year with. So you can check out more information about that in the show notes. It's called Radiance. And we talk a little bit about that. 
and she just shares her wisdom with us. So I hope you enjoy this episode and I will be back with you again next week with more. Hi, Erica. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's so nice to see you and to be here today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. So one thing I wanted to start with is I know that you and I both started yoga at a really young age, like the physical practice of yoga. I was 18 in college, my freshman year of college. So I'm curious like about your journey. How did you come to the physical practice of yoga? And what do you think made you embrace it as your life path and really make you want to become a teacher so young? Yes. Uh, I, I say this often. I feel like I had tremendous good fortune in a couple of ways. I, mean, I was raised in Manhattan, so it's a wonderful cultural melting pot. So you're generally, you're exposed to things pretty early, the foods you might eat or the art or music that you might get to experience on the street or, or in a gallery or what have you. And I had a friend, a close friend in high school, and her mother was dealing with chronic breast cancer. And so one of her treatments was she had a yoga instructor come to her house They were doing more subtle practices, meditation and different things. I was an athlete and a bit of a a goon, as I still am now, and was playing with my friend in the other room and something about the sounds they were making, or I guess I was hearing the breath, the weird breathing, and I just kept peeking my head out. I was 14, peeking my head out, peeking my head out, until finally the mother uh, said, would you like to join? And I said, okay. And uh, I went over and my friend was mortified. Like she couldn't believe that I was like rolling around on the ground or whatever. And I thought that was the most exceptional experience I had had to date. And I went home and I was talking to my parents about it. And my dad was, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, yoga in the 60s. And, uh, you know, yoga's kind of done. Like, it's kind of done. <laughs> he told me again after I finished my teacher training that yoga had peaked, that maybe I should continue to, you know, go on with my studies. Anyway, he has since apologized many times for that. And he realizes that, you know, self-exploration will never peak. But I digress. So... After that brief experience in in her home, it was uh, a couple of years before I found yoga again while looking for an East-West bookstore down in the East Village. And I went into what I thought was a bookstore and it was a yoga school. They totally culted me, surrounded me. I was in jean shorts and a tank top. It was in the middle of the hot city summer. And they were like, there's a class. Stay for stay for a class. <laughs> and so again, I stayed. And that was much more vigorous, much more dynamic. It blew me away. And so every weekend, because I was a, a, you know, I was a good student. I was an athlete and I lived uptown. And this was downtown. And so every weekend I would go down and take class there and I'd stay for two or three classes in a row. And, uh, you know, you walk down the stairs and your legs are like shaking, couldn't even stabilize yourself. Got every book I could and read everything I could. And when I got to college, there were, there were a couple more people like me who were really interested for, you know, in this, in these practices. So we would get together and sort of make up practices together. And then when I returned to the cities, I went to Wesleyan in Connecticut. And so when I returned to the city for one weekend, I went to a new yoga school that said, well, new to me, that said that they were going to do their first ever teacher training 
it was interesting because instead of, I had heard about Jiva Mukti's teacher training. It was very expensive and um, it required me to be in the city. I couldn't be in the city. This was on weekends and evenings and would continue through the summer and through the next summer as well. So uh, they actually invited five of the students to be their first teacher training class. There was no fee associated. They asked people if they would like to, to join. And so I did that and made many trips back from school to engage in this uh, practice and in all sorts of homework. You know, back then, um, you had to apply for programs. Like I had to submit book reports and proof that I had been practicing for uh, many years with recommendations from accredited teachers who could vouch for me. Uh, even though I wasn't paying into this course, there was this very elaborate application process. And then at the end, uh, it was 18 months long and then another six months of sort of an indentured servitude to the studio where they clean the toilets and uh, serve tea to the visiting teachers. Actually, that's how I met Eddie Stern. He looking for a space for the what became the Broom Street Temple or his practice space. And uh, there was a small space that we weren't using. And he came and I had to serve him tea. I don't even know if I've told Eddie that. He just served and like walk slowly backwards out of the room. And so at the end of that program, only two of the five people received certificates to teach. I think, you know, I tell people this story a lot. I think it's really amazing that I had the good fortune of sneaking in just before the business of yoga really took off. And um, these beautiful, elaborate and extensive trainings that required a year, two years and all this independent study were whittled down to month long or even couple week long programs. And I just feel that they should be called, you know, deepening your practice or yoga intensives or yoga day camp or, or, or something, because I just can't imagine having the time to digest these mind-blowing concepts, these reality-shifting experiences and information, you just don't even have time to give it a thought, much less integrate or experiment with it when it's like condensed so much. Almost immediately, I started teaching. I started teaching before the program was up because the studio needed, because <laughs> the growing studio needed a teacher. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think through our work together, one thing we've talked a lot about is, you know, how people get hung up on the physical practice and like how to actually embody yoga and what that looks like. Um, so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that, you know, for people to understand just you have this really wide perspective, because like you're saying, you started out during a time when it was before this, you know, the, the business of yoga kind of took over and morphed it. And I feel like your work is really about getting back to the essence. Sure. Uh, I mean, it is. It's all it really is all about essence. It's hard to sell these things. You know, it's really hard to market. I really love the word discipline. That's not <laughs> that's not a big selling point you know, commitment, discipline, focus. They're finding ways now. Right now, there are books being written about everything that can be compartmentalized about the practice. And in that way, it can be packaged and, and sort of marketed and sold. But I think 
what really was so profound for me because I was a very physical person as a child. I was very physical, very competitive, very, very competitive with myself and very competitive in sports. And I think one of the most profound things when I went to that really dynamic yoga class early on was there was this amazing way to experience the body and celebrate the body and challenge the body and be humbled by the body and be in awe of the body. And nowhere in there was comparison or judgment to self or other. I mean, for example, I wore my father's doctor scrubs and like a Hanes tank top to practice. Like that was the practice clothes. I think when I realized that I could have these physical experiences outside of the way that I usually greeted physical experience experiences, that was something immediately I could take back into my life and try to feel that in other places in my life. And how would that affect me as an athlete? And how would that affect me as a, a driven student? And how would that affect me as a, as a girlfriend or a friend or a sister or a daughter or whatever it was, because anytime we're in any situation, our way of being comes up, right? They're called vasanas, like our way of acting, our way of reacting, right? Which is a stale old action from a time before. And so to see at such a young age when you're really looking sort of figure out who you are to be shown through these physical practices, through these physical practices, to be shown that you, that you are not any one way. You know, you are really just trying to return to the infinite, expansive field of possibility, of consciousness, of space, of ease, of joy. And then um, ideally through that, have less judgment and take it less personally any which way that you are manifesting in the, the moment. It took a long time, like most things do. For any of those thoughts, I found my, my, I did a huge clean out of my practice room and I found my original binder of notes from my first teacher training, right? I'm like 19 years old and I'm reading what I wrote and I just couldn't believe it. As a 19 year old to be thinking about the world in that way and for the gateway to be, the experience in the body, because that's how we experience life on this planet is through the body. So it has to start with the body. But I think what happened was, you know, all these things, the breath work, the, the, the asanas, the gaze, the alignment, the chanting, all of it subtle and gross. It was designed to bring us into the present moment, right? Because in the present moment, there's no past, there's no future. So there's no regret. There's no expectation, there's no thinking, right? There's no thinking. There's just being, there's experiencing. And in this moment, there is that capacity. And only in this moment, there is that capacity to merge with this infinite field of consciousness. And this is the point and purpose of all practice. You know, whether you want to call that consciousness God, whether you want to call it your true nature, love, freedom, the grand remembrance, source, whatever, however you want to call it. And I think what happened very quickly because we are all afflicted with the human condition and we are of the body and spend so much time caring for the body that very quickly we became absorbed and infatuated and obsessed with this bodily process, this making shapes, this cleaning the body, this feeding the body. And we lost our direction. 
right? We lost sight of that goal. And it's the goal to end all goals, right? It's like the goal that recreates reality, that recreates the understanding of ourselves in reality. And instead, you know, instead we get into this, this weird pattern of like collecting poses and giving poses and judging poses and measuring progress, right? And, and measuring it up with someone else's progress. And it fell away from that original thing of, of awe and wonder and like uh, different experiences in the body through the breath and just breathing and feeling and receiving and releasing. We forgot that all of that was there so that we could see what was constant through it all, through all the changing, so that we could see what remains when we're done. I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot, so it's it's hard to not you know, see your face and hear your voice and be like, well, I already told you about that. (laughs) I already said that to you. (laughs) I feel like there's always more to say though, you know? And and so like where I'm felt drawn, well, where I feel drawn to go next is with space, understanding how we create space to observe ourselves when we're getting too wrapped up in the body or when we're not in the present moment or, you know, when we have a vasana coming up that we want to change, like how do we create space? I feel like a lot of what you talk about with your yoga students, what I see on Instagram, it's like about creating those moments. And something you've said that I want to make sure we put in here is that that I think is so brilliant is that every moment is a love letter to yourself or like, what can you do to, to write a love letter to yourself? So maybe you can talk a little bit about that too. Space is a really interesting concept. Like if you ever studied physics or the atom, and that's another one of those things that early on I was introduced to this concept and, and your mind is, is sort of forever changed and your view of the world is forever changed. You know, if we are made up of organ systems that are made up of organs that are made up of tissues that are made up of cells that are made up of organelles that, you know, and you just keep going smaller and smaller and smaller until it's a compound, until it's an element, until it's atoms. And then inside atoms, there's all this stuff, but it's predominantly what? Empty space. It's empty space with energy vibrating in it. And just because it is perceived to be denser and denser and denser does not take away from the fact that it's all built on vibrating energy within empty space. That's happening inside of us. I think the main issue is the advent of how much that's happening outside of us now with how communication occurs and with all of the unseen waves between us and around us and going through us. And so that energetic interference or frequency overwhelm makes it really, really difficult for us to acknowledge and be even be comfortable with a moment of pause, even though that's actually what we're composed of, right? We're just composed of possibility, right? Potential possibility. Yeah, I was reading an article the other day about all the signs and symptoms of your body feeling like it's in danger, even when your mind doesn't perceive it to be in danger. You know, this phenomenon of whether the stress is someone not getting back to your texts 
or being chased by a tiger, like your body perceives it the same way, like the cycle get, gets going and your body perceives it the same way. And every stress cycle that starts is designed to come to a completion point so the system can be reset. Like when you're in labor, for anyone out there who's ever been in labor, you know, the sensation and the, the purposeful discomfort of labor is creating different, the release of different chemicals in your body. And then no matter how stressful or arduous or however you perceived it, at the end, there's this baby, right? And the, 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 the emergence of this new life literally resets that cycle and you forget everything and you're just in an experience of of bliss time slows down and that's so my point is when the stress cycle is able to complete beautiful amazing exceptional wonderful things can happen but we are all stuck in thousands of incompleted stress cycles and so even though you might be meditating and getting sleep and taking your vitamins and doing all these things and you're walking around functioning like me, I'm walking around functioning. And I wouldn't necessarily say that I, that my body feels endangered. I feel very safe. I feel comfortable. This is what my perceived experience is. But there are certain signs and symptoms that your body feels endangered that most people go through that you wouldn't associate with being under extreme stress, like the desire to go, 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 always needing to be on the go. You can't like even on vacation, like you've got to have your vacation, like totally planned out. Even if you're joining someone's retreat and they've scheduled it all out for you, you've got to fill every single gap, even though most things when they're thoughtfully curated, even those moments of pause are thoughtfully curated. You know, look at pieces of, of music, beautiful compositions. They're not just going for it all the time. There's, there's repose, there's fall to the music. It gets really quiet. You gotta lean in. Has it stopped? Is it still going? Is it coming back? Like all of that is intentional. It's intentional because, so like my favorite, you, do you have an Ishta Devata? <laughs> Hey, oh, yeah. he's right there. <laughs> so, I'm pointing uh, to my Hanuman. <laughs> so, um, in my teacher training, I was introduced to the idea of an Ishtadevata, right? It's a, a form of the divine that really speaks to you. And I was, I had, it was great. There were these, there were these um, sisters sister Ayurvedic doctors, and they were the ones they were giving a guest talk, and they were the ones that introduced. Me to it. And they used to call me Radha, right? They would call me Radha because I would sit in the front row like a little gopi and like, like, just like lick all the nectar of their words. And so then I was really interested in all the stories of Radha and Krishna. And then all the stories of Krishna leading me to Vishnu, right? And all of his incarnations. And, uh, I found this picture, very famous picture of Vishnu and his beautiful goddess manifestation, Lakshmi, on a coiled serpent, thousand-headed coiled serpent on these beautiful, rough, churning seas. And uh, I brought the picture back to these sisters and I said, can the snake be my Ishtadevata? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, Shesha. And I'm like, yeah, 
like me and Shaysha, like, can we? And she's like, was like a little bit confused. And she said, well, well, can you tell me why? And I said, yeah, I've been reading all these books and, and listening to all these stories. And it seems to me that that's what we're going for, right? Shaysha means remainder, right? The one who remains, the residue. So no matter the floods or the disturbances or the recreation of the world or the changing of the yug or whatever it is, it's Shesha on the seas of consciousness, right? This is the remainder. And I said, I feel like that's what we're, that's what we're getting at. Like we're not even riding on that raft. Like we are the raft. That's it for me. And so I think that when we don't allow for space within an experience, in before an experience, right? After an experience. And I don't know yet what that space looks like for each person. And it's certainly specific to each experience. We don't afford ourselves the opportunity to enjoy or experience the residue. And there's so many things that are so good for you, right? There's so many things you're supposed to drink and buy and eat and do. And it's like these great, even within the yoga, yogic arts and sciences, like there's so many, so many things. And I think that, you know, kind of like what I was saying before with the obsession of, of the physicality of the practice, that we fill our day with all of these things and we don't even give ourselves a moment to see how it made us feel. What happened? Is that, you know, is that a good thing? It's like the, the famous 4 a.m. practice, you know, like you're supposed to be a yoga teacher or serious about yoga. You're supposed to wake up at like 2.30 and like do your practice at 3.30 and 4. And, and like, great. Like if that works for you, great. But I knew a lot of people, I'm not going to name names, <laughs> who were really committed to their very early morning practice because they, they felt obligated. They felt practicing at any other time made them less devout or less sincere or less committed. And what it really made them was grumpy for the whole rest of the day. And they would tell you, they would tell you how they struggled. And it meant they had to eat dinner at five and go to sleep at like seven. And they couldn't, and this whole life designed around the, the hour or two hours of beautiful theoretical communion with the divine essence within and beyond. But I'm pretty sure that if you, if you glimpse that or remember that connection, reclaim that connection and allow yourself to just sit and, and bathe in it, you know, in that beautiful rest at the end of practice, that you should potentially be able to carry it with you through at least a few moments of your day. So when, when your recipe for sadhana, when your recipe for self-care, when your proposed love letter to yourself leaves you feeling loveless for the whole rest of the day, I think it's because of a maybe an absence of space, just space to reflect, not to judge, space really to feel. It's not even a reflection. You know, there's a concept of a niyamagraha, right? Something that you're, that you're grasping onto. I was talking to a student the other day and I told her to release the sound of the breath in her throat. I said, just breathe freely, no sound. And she was like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, like I'm, I'm making the sound. Like I've been working so hard for so many years to make the sound. And now I'm really locked in. I can make the sound. And I said, well, you also want to be able to breathe without making the sound, right? <laughs> like, 
Like, we think we figured something out and then we like, we like lock it down and we cling to it. And that's confining too, right? Space isn't just like a free afternoon. Space is how you hold something. Like in Of Mice and Men, like Lenny is like holding the, the killing the bunny, <laughs> the puppy. <laughs> I think this is a good place to kind of bring in the past few years. And I know a lot has been said about, you know, how this pandemic period has changed our lives and we don't, you know, have to drill it into the ground. But when it comes to like our practices and how it affected you as a yoga teacher, for example, like being able to be responsive and understand that the way we used to do things is not the way we were going to continue to do things, just like you were just saying, and like allowing the new way to come in and building a new relationship with your community and the experiencing the fallout of how it's changed our practice to be alone in our room looking at a screen. <laughs> like maybe you could speak to just some of those things and and just your perspective. Yeah, so there's a lot there. There's a lot. <laughs> it's a big question. So <laughs> there's so much there. Again, I feel like I like I was called upon. In a lot of the stories of the Vedic world, there's a character named Saint Narada. And uh he's kind of like a pusher, a pawn of fate. He like stirs the pot a little bit to like make things that are meant to happen happen. And I kind of had one of those people in my life, a student of mine, a new student, not even someone who practiced with me very regularly, but she reached out because I don't know, I think maybe if you live close to a big city, you get a different read on it. I used to go in and out of the city for work once a week. I live outside the city now. I came home and I said to my husband, they're going to shut the world down. And he said, this was like March 1st. And he was like, that's crazy. I said, no, no, no. I, <laughs> I like, you don't understand. New York feels very strange, very strange, like, like dystopic. It feels really, cause that's my hometown. Like I, I, I feel with the city. And I said, and people are confused and scared. And when people are confused and scared, they'll make big, big decisions before they've had time maybe to think about it or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, he was no way, no way. And I told my girls, I said, you know, they might even shut school down. So, you know, just be prepared, prepare yourselves. We're going to have a great time. That's what I told everyone. I said, we're going to, we're going to have a great time with the family. And, um, the next week I went in and I came back, uh, for, for my day in the city. And I said, it's tomorrow. <laughs> said to my husband, I said, they're going to shut the world down tomorrow. And he was like, he was like, you're crazy, whatever. And then a student called me literally right after I said that a student called me and she said, listen, we have this thing at work. This is literally like March 11th. We have this thing at work called zoom and it's used to, we use it to talk to the to the parts, the fragments of the, the corporation that are in Asia or Africa or Europe. And I think you could use it to teach a yoga class. And I was like, listen, lady, like I taught for 20 years before I even had a website. Like <laughs> I've never recorded a class. Like this is not for me. And she said, no, I'm going to stay on the phone with you until you make an account. And <laughs> like, literally like this. And this is, was a brand new student. And she's like, and you're going to teach a class tomorrow. And I was like, why would I teach a class tomorrow? But sure enough, so I sent out an email like, hey, I'm going to teach a class on this new Zoom platform tomorrow. I had like, this was right before everything closed down. And I 
I couldn't believe it. Like, like I, I just emailed 70 people and all 70 people were like, sure. And so we did this, this class and it was, and it was great. It was draining for my eyes, but it was great. The energy transmitted. And because when I teach, I watch, I don't do, I watch except for sitting versus standing and walking around the room, it felt pretty natural and it felt pretty comfortable. And I could say like, you know, Paula, soften your left shoulder or, you know, the only thing I couldn't do was hear anyone breathe. So when you're used to being in a room alive with breath, and then all of a sudden you're sort of staring at a, at a, a cold screen with images of soundless living people it was a little rough. It was a little, I'm not going to lie. It was a little rough at first. Um, but then everyone was so grateful. So that very next day I started uh, a weekly, a weekly collaborative, right? A weekly collective. And I made it a requirement that you would join for the whole week to really, cause I thought all of a sudden this was an amazing opportunity to showcase the power and purpose of daily practice in some way, instead of having yoga practice compartmentalized to the one hour or hour and a half, you spend X number of times a week at some place that's, that you have to travel to. This was an opportunity because I've been trying to get people to home practice forever, forever. Just do a down dog. I would say just do cat cow and a down dog. Like that's how you'd start it up. And so this all of a sudden seems like an amazing opportunity coupled with the fact that a lot of businesses slowed down or closed down temporarily and people were home. So it was like this extended yoga retreat experience. And it showed two things, right? It showed people were capable of unrolling their mats in their homes, which they had previously maybe not thought possible. But it also showed that even with your mat in the comfort of your home and a teacher right there looking at you, you still need to do that last bit, right? You still need to find the passion and the purpose and the commitment to yourself to actually do it. There were a whole new set of excuses people could make. And one of those excuses was now that that even this was on the screen, everything was on the screen. I mean, everyone spent so much more time on social media and probably looking for a connection. I mean, that's all we really are doing anyway is we're looking for some sort of cure to this this perceived isolation, which is really just separation from spirit, right? That's what inspiration is about. That's why breathing practices are about taking spirit in. You speak a romance language, you know that inhale is inspirat, right? You have to take in the spirit to remember that you are of it and with it and through it and by it. So me, like everyone else, I was spending a little bit more time on social media. Prior to that, my Instagram was a, an occasional picture of a piece of fruit or something. And then I started writing every morning. I would write as I drank my coffee because I felt very grateful and lucky that in all of my years of diligent practice and true reverence for this wisdom of the ages, I felt very well equipped to navigate these tumultuous times and to keep peace and harmony in my home and to have a skill set that could help other people find peace and ease and make choices that were not from a place of fear and frustration and isolation. 
Do you think that we have learned how to better do that through this time? So my Zoom collective was the busiest I'd ever been in all of my working years. And I was a born hustler. I worked for decades without a day off and was like, fine with it. And when the Zoom started, plus all of the private clients, and now they were all over the world because of the global reach of the internet, I was working, you know, 16 or 17 hour days. So I was learning in that time. I was learning how much I have taken advantage of myself, my love for what I do, my appreciation for being able to be of service, how enthusiastic I get when people are interested. So no, I don't think people, (laughs) I don't, I don't think people really, I think it takes a really long time to have something integrate, to have something truly, truly integrate, right? There's a lot of quick fix marketing. There's a lot of instant gratification, instant result conditioning. There's a lot of informational interference, right? Like the new, they say the new censorship is actually just the tidal wave of information. So you can't even discern through that murky sea what is worthwhile, what is grounded in integrity, and what is there to harvest your energy and attention. So I do think that in that time, I finally understood the importance of rest and of of bringing yoga back to its entirety, right? Its entirety in the sense of, I mean, I was always very, very clear about keeping practice in the culture and context from which it arose and the celebration of the ancient Vedic world and all of the ancient civilizations who lived in greater connection, not just with nature, but through spirit and consciousness. And all of these global traditions are so, are so powerful. And I do believe are connected or tied together. When you believe in that connection, when you believe in lineage, when you always want to have a teacher and be able to trace your teacher back, when you, the same way you do with a family tree, I don't know. I think, you know, I, I, I try not to be negative and I do feel like there were a lot of opportunities for tremendous growth. And there were, there were a lot of grand reveals during our time where we were locked behind our screens. There was a lot of consciousness raising and much like what happened with yoga, asana being removed from the context and marketed and sold. A lot of these amazing awakenings, like aha moments that people didn't realize, they were very quickly scooped up, contained, marketed, and sold. You know, does that continue to raise consciousness and encourage change? Or does that divide? Does that put people in camps of for and against And do those camps communicate? Because communication is the only way. You know, we've been talking about space. We've been talking about practice. We've been talking about the internet. It's all communication. So the only way to evolve, to grow, is through releasing and receiving. That's communication. That's breath. That's everything. And intention. You know, that's... yes. I yeah. think we, we can communicate or we can communicate with intention. 
as you've been talking, I wanted to share with listeners, you know, I do have your chart here um, and we've been working together. And so I've gotten to know your chart pretty well. And something that's useful to know or interesting to know about your chart is that you're in your Jupiter period and you have Jupiter, Moon, Mars, and Venus all in your 10th house. When we have four planets like that, first of all, it's called a Pravrajya Yoga. It's a combination that leads someone towards spirituality. Um, and in particular, you know, because Jupiter's there and Jupiter's activated, it also leads you to be a teacher. Because Mars is there, then it's about like the life force and, you know, and Moon and, and Venus are about beauty and like making it a beautiful experience, you know? So it makes total sense for how you interpret yoga and you interpret living our best life using these tools and really like letting it infuse our experience. So first of all, I'm curious how it's been to work with me and to know more about your astrology and how it impacts your business, but also like what it means to you to live in your purpose as well. I love Jyotishai. I, I love Western astrology. I love to stare at the stars, even just to listen to you then say about the four planets. And the, isn't that amazing? <laughs> like, I, can't, I just find it so enthralling and inspiring. And I think that a huge draw to work with you or toward working with you is that when I came up in yoga, so much of it was about yoga is not for self-aggrandizement and don't advertise. Don't encourage people to come to your class. Don't market. The people that are supposed to find you will find you. And that was a different time. But I was impressionable. I was young and I was impressionable and it worked for me. I never needed to do anything and beyond just showing up for class and teaching. And so after a certain amount of time, I think that that, that clinging to those thoughts and ideas got got me really in my own way. And Paula didn't mention it, but I also have something in my chart that says that I get in my own way sometimes. <laughs> so, Don't we all? <laughs> so, so I thought it could be really interesting for me on the tail end of all of this kind of natural boom of my business to figure out how to get in line with what I hope to do, which is beyond teaching one person one-on-one -on -one, or beyond teaching classes, 50, 60, 70 people I mean nothing wrong with that, but there really is so much more to offer beyond what we can offer on the mat. And I felt that your understanding of not just the astrology, but your placement within the modern uh, Vedic world, so to speak, the modern functioning Vedic world made you so appealing to me, you know, and that it wasn't some kind of packaging and, and branding, but more of encouraging me to work with my years of study and, and my, my true passion, which leads to purpose. I mean, I'm, I really am passionate about helping people uplift their life experience through a reconnection to themselves and not just themselves in the beauty of, of, of who and what they are, or I should say not in themselves in terms of the beauty of who they are, who they are, but really in terms of the magnificence of what they are, you know, well beyond who they are. And I do think that your guidance and connection is, it's subtle and it's, and it suits me. Right? I, I, I do struggle with marketing and I do struggle with branding and I do struggle with these things. And yet I do think that there is a way 
that there is a way to present yourself authentically and embodied in your intention and what you're committed to. And that that's not, that's not a form of self aggrandizement. And I do, I think that you've helped me with that a bit. So I appreciate that. Well, thanks for pulling that thread out. That's really helpful. I think for other people too, because I think it's a big thing that we go through as spirit led entrepreneurs, you know, is just getting kind of stuck and wondering if it's okay for us to talk about what we do and for us to sell what we do. And the answer is yes, because when people see it, when they experience it, it changes their life. And if they, you know, there's so many things we go through where like afterward, we're like, wow, I would have paid so much if I knew what I was going to get on the other side of this. It's literally just talking about that in a way that's authentic and that's not overselling and that's not promising everything and just talking about what's real and being clear, you know, all those things. And I do just another note about purpose is, you know, I create, you create, we all create purpose daily, moment to moment. We're affirming it and committing to it and feeding it with every, every second of our day. And I think that, that, that is, is an amazing power that we hold. That power is extraordinary, right? The power that we have in our life that some people might call free will or choice, but that's a tool and it's a gift and it's essential for our alignment and our harmony and our balance and our peace and navigating the challenges of life. I think that I think people think they want these things, you know, to look a certain way or to have a certain house or a job or whatever. But the truth is, we really just want harmony and balance and alignment. And we are falsely associating those external things with that internal feeling. And so my passion and my purpose is to help people cultivate an awareness or even just recognize the wondrous and limitless being that they are and to use that remembrance to be in a state of presence and awe and wonder in the life that they're currently living. And to that end, you're you're going to be helping people in the new year not create resolutions, right? Okay. But we cre- create some radiance. So yeah. So not create constriction. Resolutions are negative. They're filled with judgment. It starts with an insult. What you were doing was wrong. And now you're going to do it this way. Right. But instead it's, yeah, we can just, you know, practice is about learning how to direct and redirect, how to guide and how to choose where your attention, your energy, your effort flows. And so I did. I built a course around that. I created a course around that because it's really hard. It's really hard to share all that, that yoga truly is meant to be within the, the modern framework of the yoga class. Well, we'll share a link to that so people can check it out and learn more about how they can work with you. And that's on sale now so they can go look at it. And so I want to jump into some rapid fire questions because these are just for fun. So this what is one was, this piece was so much fun. I want to come back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> what is one piece of advice that's really helped you in your life? Oh my god. Mind your business. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um when you feel anxious, confused or frustrated, what's the first thing you do to ground yourself? Inhale. Mm, yes. Good, good. What is your favorite hot beverage? Mm. I think I know this from your Instagram. <laughs> Well, right now it's a matcha with local raw cow's milk steamed with some cardamom, but uh, it's whatever hot beverage I'm enjoying in the moment because I love them all. 
Okay. And on that note, what's the last meal you would have on earth? Oh my, what? (laughs) I honestly, you know what? This is going to sound so weird, but the Chinese food that existed in New York City in the early 80s and mid 80s, it just doesn't exist anymore. And it's like this beautiful, memorable food from my youth. I mean, maybe it was also the family experience, you know, going down to Chinatown or whatever. But I would love like a nice veggie dumpling from 1983. <laughs> maybe I also have to be six in order to make it taste as good. Uh-huh. <laughs> so do you have a morning routine? And what if anything is non-negotiable for you? Yeah. The first thing is when I wake up, I lay flat, I put my hands on my body and I am grateful. I'm grateful for my body. I'm grateful for my bed. I'm grateful for my husband that is beside me. And then it's an elaborate self-love bathing ritual. It really is. I stimulate my lymph. I care for my skin. I anoint my body with oils all the while truly, truly grateful. It's important to celebrate you just as you are. You really can't do that enough. And then every choice you make through the day uh, can feed that celebration. Like you said, everything can become a love letter to yourself, the way you brush your teeth, the way you um, prepare your food. Every single moment is meant to be however you choose to create it. And I choose to create a life filled with love and space and gratitude. So that's Mm. what I'm working with. Beautiful. So tell us about a person who inspires you and why. Silence. Um, Geez, alive, dead? That's a tough question. It doesn't matter. They can be dead. I don't know. Just because I was talking about it a little earlier, maybe Margaret Atwood. Not so much. Everyone's all Handmaid's Tale. Um, No, no, no. The Oryx and Crake Mad Adam trilogy. If you haven't read Oryx and Crake, After the Flood, and Mad Adam, the prophetic nature of her writing, her ability to take kind of a fringe thing that's happening somewhere and spin it wildly out of control to a place where you couldn't even wrap your mind around that, and then it becomes a reality. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. I mean, what an exceptional writer she is. I'm definitely inspired by her. This leads right into our next question, which is what are you reading right now? Or what's an important book that you would suggest to the audience? And we were talking about rest is resistance, you know, and we didn't get into that. I got chills when you said that, because that's a powerful woman right there. Yeah, the Nap Bishop was I was exposed to her work and her speaking and her treatise on rest and uh, early, really early in that lockdown period. And so grateful again to have happened upon that. That book is powerful. And I think everyone should read it. Right now, I'm reading, I think it's called The Anatomy of the Spirit. Forgetting the author, Caroline. Caroline Carolyn Miss. Yeah. Somebody yeah. sent that to me. I was surprised I had never read it. I feel like I've read everything that's ever been published from any East-West bookstore (laughs) of any place in the planet ever. In the winter, I usually return to fiction. So I'll be looking forward to doing that. I haven't read it recently, but a great fiction if people haven't read it. Great piece of fiction. There are two books. 
Uh, her name is Madeline Miller, and she is a, a professor, uh, I believe, at Brown University of, uh, of uh, Greek mythology and literature. And she rewrote the myth of Achilles. It's called The Song of Achilles. But first and foremost, she wrote a book called Circe about the misunderstood siren and the odyssey. That book, Circe, was really enjoyable. If you're going to get someone a Christmas present, aside from getting them my course, you could get them um, <laughs> you could get them this book. It's, it reads beautifully. She's an intelligent writer if they enjoy reading that. It's almost like historical fiction in the world of Greek mythology. So it's great. Mm. What is one thing bringing you joy right now? This I'm enjoying this so much more than I thought I would. Uh, I regret anything I said. That's a little bit of that Saturn on Mercury, whatever you said. I got something on something. But it's been so great. Thank you. So tell us where we can find you online and any other things that we should know about. So my name is Erica Holwile, uh, Erica with a K. For just a few more weeks, that's also my website, ericaholwile.com, which will always take you to something associated with me. My Instagram handle is also Erica Holwile. But uh, December 5th, I'll be relaunching my website. And yeah, and so then you can find me there. It will be called The Life Glow Project. You can also find me at ericaholwile.com. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here and for taking the time and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you, Paula. This was great fun. I appreciate it. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment for us. I want to thank the team at Team Podcast who helped get this podcast out to you. And also to thank the musicians who were the creators of this beautiful music we're listening to now. It comes from an album, Fragments of a Season, by Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantuladesma. So check it out wherever you get your music. Have a wonderful day, and we will connect soon on a future episode. Mm-hmm.